entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome to the show today uh, on Dealing with Adversity at Stepping Stones in the Mist with Miguel Dean. Um, so before I start um, talking with Miguel, I just wanted to say a big thank you to Frank Furness for joining me last week and helping us to understand how to sell in business today. I mean, thinking about sales from the perspective of uh, traditional selling, i.e. sort of face-to-face and over the phone, direct selling, and also considering that we have an indirect sales force, i.e. everybody who works with us, uh, maybe friends, family, people who we know, uh, making sure that they are also thinking about uh, selling and sales as well. And also our on-scene sales force, um, our online sales um, activity and our social media and those sorts of things and make sure, making sure they all work in harmony, I think was uh, a really helpful uh, wisdom last week from Frank. Um, I also spent some time this week with a friend of mine, a, a former show guest, Neil Lawton. Uh, Neil spoke to me, oh, I don't know, maybe eight, a year, 18 months ago around uh, leadership and I, I took him to an event and he spoke about who dares wins. He's a well-known adventurer and former um, SAS uh, military uh, person. And Neil today puts himself in situations where he has to deal with adversity, such as climbing Everest and building and flying the world's first flying car. And he really reminded me that in business, it's not always good to keep things safe. And sometimes we've just got to go for it and be brave and uh, make some important decisions. Um, I think oh, the other thing he did is he promised my um, my eldest son that he was going to get him David Beckham's autograph because he's uh, he's uh, meeting David Beckham next week. So um, Neil, no pressure, but my son is expecting an autograph. <laughs> so during business and life, um, we all experience periods of adversity, and we don't always choose that adversity like Neil. However, being able to deal with those situations well personally. And also being able to help employees, colleagues, friends, and family who may have fallen on hard times is an important and also uh, an acquired skill that we can learn. And your success at um, helping others can have a big, big impact on the profitability of your business. If you've got employees who are not firing on all cylinders and not feeling happy because they're really struggling, and being able to help and support them and uh, improve the quality of their life is going to have a big impact on the way that they perform in their, in their jobs. Now, my guest today, Miguel Dean, uh, is joining us to share his seven stepping stones to success in life and business. And I'm sure it's going to be you know, a really inspiring show with lots of ideas. Um, Miguel has had an extraordinary life journey. He was homeless for seven years. Uh, he was a, a drug addict. He was inspired, though, to change his life by the love for his son. And 18 years later, he's now an expert at facilitating behavioral change. He's helped hundreds of homeless adults and also business executives to transform their lives. And He's worked for many years with disadvantaged youth. Um, his calling, he says, has, uh, has been that he needs to step up further and share his message to the wider world that business as usual is no longer an option. 
He believes we're living at a crucial time in the evolution of humanity, and the choices we make now will determine the legacies we leave for our children, and I completely agree. Uh, Miguel is a pro- professional speaker. He's an out-respective coach. Uh, he's a workshop facilitator and author of the acclaimed book, Stepping Stones in the Mist, Life Lessons for Overcoming Adversity. And he works with those who wish to be successful in their business while also considering their impact on humanity and the planet as a whole. So a big welcome to Miguel Dean. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks. I, uh, what an introduction. I, I, I was just thinking I'd like to meet this guy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've got plenty of opportunity to do so. Okay. <laughs> so um, great, great to have you on the show, Miguel. And, you know, maybe you can just start by, you know, sharing a bit of your story. And, and maybe we could start with you sharing um, some of your upbringing and, you know, to help us understand, you know, what happened to you and why. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, well, I, I, I was, I, I suppose it's a bit like a weather forecast. Uh, my, my upbringing f- felt a bit like it was kind of like grey and overcast, uh, scattered showers with the odd sunny intervals. And uh, the reason I say that is, uh, I mean, what happened very early on in my life before I was one year old, uh, I lost my mum to cancer. Um, and not too long after, about a year, a year or two afterwards, my dad remarried, uh, and the family were kind of like reunited, if you like. But uh, my stepmom uh, sort of turned out to be quite a sort of angry, uh, uh, an angry woman, and um, and so she was quite violent, uh, quite uh, yeah, quite abusive, really, uh, to myself and my brothers and sisters. So the upbringing. It wasn't ideal, you know. It was, um, you know, I mean, they talk about what befalls children. Uh, that, you know, they're a bit like wet cement in, in that what befalls them uh, creates an impression. And it felt a bit like that. So, yeah, my, my start to life wasn't brilliant, really. Yeah, and so that, you know, that's, I guess, you know, clearly would have had a, an impact on on life further on down the line. But you, but you went on to... Uh, you know, to go from that kind of environment to uh, to living rough. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just kind of like fell into it, really. I suppose. I mean, that's how it felt at the time. Um, you know, it was this sort of pattern of a sequence sequence of events uh, that that um, I bought a, a truck with a girlfriend at the time, and we went around and did a few festivals. Um, sort of, you know, sort of hippie festivals, music festivals, and then it didn't really feel like I had anything to go back to, so I just kind of like carried on, really. So, yeah, you know, for about seven years, it was, um, I mean, what's loosely called the sort of new age traveller scene, living in buses and trucks and uh, no fixed abode, and, you know, at, at points in, in those seven years, I actually, um, yeah, found myself on the streets. Um, so you, so you, so you did. So at certain points in that, you were you were travelling around. Other times, you were just literally sleeping in, uh, you know, in cities somewhere. Were you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite often there'd be sort of like little park ups, you know, on industrial estates, on anywhere scruffy or anywhere that unused bits of land and so on. So you know, and we would there would be travelling at some points, but quite often, you know, we'd just sort of stay somewhere for for a period of time, living in an old caravan or or whatever, and then, you know, for one reason or another, move move on to somewhere else. And and, and you became um you became addicted to 
where initially you were taking sort of soft drugs and then you know harder harder drugs um it, it, is that just was that just because it was part of the scene or do you think you have a you know an addictive personality or you know what um you know what what happened to uh, for you to you know to get on start taking these sort of substances which must have contributed to a bit of a downward spiral really yeah it, very much so yeah i mean I, I think as is often the way with any sort of I think it's quite normal for sort of teenagers to experiment and take risks and so on, and I was no different in that in that respect. But with with a deeper understanding that I have of drug abuse now, I mean it's a bit of a generalisation, but I would say that it's kind of self medication really. You know, when it starts becoming a habit and, and you start getting addicted, it, it's uh, and the medication is just about about numbing you really, and you know keep. keep addicts often say that you know when they get a, take a hit it's a bit like being wrapped in cotton wool and i, I wasn't aware of that at, at, at the time um you know it was everybody else was doing it around me and it just kind of like crept in more and more uh, and, and it seemed like you know a bit sort of rebellious and a naughty thing to do and kind of sticking two fingers up at society um but uh, when i look back now i can see it was very much a reaction from a very controlling um, you know, childhood that, that, that I had is kind of like the pendulum swung to the other extreme where I just did, you know, I wanted to do whatever I wanted and, and I think subconsciously do whatever I wanted include, included making sure I didn't do what my parents wanted me to do. Yeah, it's something you said there, which, uh, you know, taking the drugs is like being wrapped up in cotton wool and I haven't really thought about it this way before, but, you know, were those drugs really because the feeling they gave you almost a, a substitute for love um, because you'd uh, not maybe not had that to the level that a child really needs in their earlier upbringing and um, but do yeah. those do, they, do the drugs substitute that in some way because they make you feel better yeah absolutely absolutely I mean my experience is that you know I, w- I would say that everything that we do in life is about our search for love whether it's love through status in business or whether it's love um, you know, through um, a, a feeling that some, you know, something gives us through relationship or through taking a risk, or it's that feeling of wanting to feel alive and, and wanting to feel loved, which I think we all, which we all crave. Uh, uh, and I was certainly, I was certainly no different. I mean, uh, it, uh, it felt. Well, I, how I talk about it now is, it was kind of like a, I was sort of built without any foundations. You know, my initial emotional needs hadn't really been met as a child. So there was this big sort of void uh, that needed filling, really. And mm-hmm. uh, the drugs, uh, the alcohol, the chaos, you know, did a, uh, did a pretty good job of filling that big void. We've only got about a, another minute or so to commercial break now because we, we started a little bit, a little bit later. Um, but I don't know whether you can just give us a sense of, you know, what is it actually like living rough? it's a bit of everything really you know it, it, it's like it's like so many things it's like if it's all that you know it, it, it's all that you know uh, and it didn't feel you know particularly terrible or, or difficult at, at the time there were scary bits and there were dangerous bits and there were bits um, that just felt well, you know, this, it was kind of like this is all that I know. You know, I, I don't know anything better. And all the people that I kind of surrounded myself with were also in the same boat. So it, it didn't really feel like a big deal. Um, and, and I still have this, uh, you know, this still sort of comes up for me a little bit when people want to hear my story. And it just feels a bit like, well, it was just, 
that was just what I did, and it was just what I experienced. It's not a big deal, although it seems like it's a long way from a lot of people's experiences of life. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're reading um, reading your book, and uh, I'm just talking to the break, and then we'll come back afterwards. We're reading your book. I guess one of the things that really things that stuck in my mind is actually how you know, how your health deteriorated from it, and mm. uh, you know, th- th- to me that. Uh, you know, the the impact of that living on your on your own body, which is uh, is, is the thing that we have to that we utilise to live live with, and effectively uh, the damage that you were doing to it um, was is quite shocking. So we'll, we'll just come on to some of that kind of hardship in after the break, and then really just move into the lessons. You know, what can we all learn from the experience that that you've had, Miguel? So we ba- we're just going to commercial break. We'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. Okay, great. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of Be More, Achieve More and uh, Chris Cooper of uh, chriscooper.co.uk, which is my new, my new website. And uh, this show will will shortly be in the next few weeks uh, be rebranded around uh, around that new um, business elevation concept that I now have and are focusing on. But I want to get back to the conversation with uh, you, Miguel. And we were talking about sort of dealing with adversity. And I just I just want you just to help us understand. I know you said you know living rough was you didn't really know a lot else. But I mean, when I, I saw you speak about this, uh, you talked about the impact on your health. And that really 
helped me understand what it was really like. So I don't know if you can just share a little bit about that before we move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, over a number of years, when you don't look after yourself, you know, any money that I had always went on drugs. Um, it was It was generally accepted that food came out of the skips and out of the out of the bins or you did a bit of shoplifting and bought a little bit of food if you had to but you know that there was no there was no awareness really on my part that you know that um you are what you eat if you like what you put into your body and uh so i guess yeah i mean you know at my lowest point uh, I, I ended up with really sort of chronic eczema that was really sort of sore and and uh, red and uh, and itchy um, and I only sort of like had any relief from that when I was when I was high, really, when I, when I was drunk or when I was on drugs. Um, my gums, I mean, you know, I don't know how long it had been since I'd brushed my teeth, but I ended up with really chronic gum disease. And uh, you know, when I finally got to the dentist, uh, you know, he said, "You're really lucky that you came in when you did. You know, you know your, your gums are that far receded that you, you you're very close to losing all your front teeth." Um, and yeah, I mean, I do remember that they they would I would lie in bed at night and they would just kind of like throb this just great big sort of pulsating a bit like on a cartoon where you saw the see this red you know when they get banged on the head and there's this big throbbing sort of thing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I did get myself in a terrible mess. Um, I, I, I had body lice and uh, and I, at some point I, I don't I, I'll probably never really know quite how this happened, but I picked up hepatitis C as well, so I had a virus eating away at my liver. So uh, no wonder I, emotionally and mentally I wasn't feeling too good because uh, I'd given my body such a hammering, you know. Course, it was yeah. uh, a pretty dark place to be. Yeah, I bet, yeah. And what, what, uh, what then turned things around for you? Hmm. Well, uh, there, was a, there was two things, really, two key things. And one was it, it sort of began becoming clear to me when a, uh, a so-called friend of mine turned on me one night. Um, he, he was... Um, out of his face and uh and, and he had an axe in his hand and, and then he kind of like raised that above his head as he was shouting at me and threatening me and and uh um you know it really dawned on me i thought God, you know this is this really the life that you're choosing miguel you know is this you know perhaps you need to be doing something different but i, d- I didn't really know i didn't know how to get out of it really you know i had no home that i wanted to go back to i didn't feel any closeness to my parents and my brothers and sisters were all dispersed and you know, there was nowhere to go back to, really. Um, so I kind of muddled on for a, another couple of years. But the, the, but there was this little bit of me that was looking out for a, a way out. You know, I, I, I began looking for a, a, an opportunity to uh, to break free uh, of where I was. Um, and, and, and it was the birth of my son um, that, that really that really motivated me to make a difference and, and really motivated me to change because the, it reached a point. I, mean, I, uh, I was still living on the road at this point uh, and, yeah, I just woke up one morning and thought, you know, this kid would be better being brought up with just his mum because I was depressed, I was miserable, I was obnoxious, I was insecure. You know, I wasn't a nice person to be around. Um, and, I'd, and I'd said to my partner at the time, Look, you know, if nothing else changes, then I'll even go and see a counsellor. And uh, I was terrified of the idea of going and seeing a counsellor because I didn't really know how it worked or what I'd have to talk about. Or, and I, I just couldn't really understand how that was going to help just talking to somebody. But it was just a couple of sessions into this uh, counselling that I kind of had three 
successive light bulb moments, really, where I realized I just began to see that the way I'd been living had been a total reaction to my childhood. And therefore, you know, it, it was the question arose, OK, so your childhood wasn't ideal. You're making life now hell for yourself. Is this what you're going to choose for the future? And, you know, if this is your choice, then what sort of father are you going to be? So uh, in that counselling session, I decided, okay, I'm going to get married to show some commitment to my son. I'm not going to walk away when it gets difficult. Um, I decided that it was time to move into a house and have somewhere safe because through the counselling, I realised I had a load of inner work to do. Uh, you know, it wasn't enough to just change things on the outside. I had a lot of grief and a lot of shame and a lot of, um, you know, emotions that I couldn't process when I was a child that had kind of got locked inside me. So I decided those two things, and the third thing that I realized was that, that I wanted to be able to help people. I wanted to work with people, and I wanted to be able to do what that counselor had done for me. So it was this whole, you know, first idea that, wow, perhaps there is something that, a way that I can make a living, there is a purpose to my life, there's something that I can do that, is, that has some value to it. Um, yeah, you know, that was what happened really, Chris. Wow. So, so through that counselling, it helped you helped give you that purpose. And I, I wonder what um, what was it that you know got you to the point of you know, setting some really clear intentions then for your life, and actually what made you make sure that you acted upon them? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I'm I'm not sure that I've ever had a re- had really clear intentions. Um, it, you know, it, it's always been this kind of like vague just this sense this knowing it, it, it that you know that intention of uh, i want to be able to help people I, I want to be able to work with people it it, it never got and, and it still isn't it, it it's not specific and clear exactly in what way because it always feels like it, it it's moving and, and changing and, and as i evolve and i grow and i learn the atten- the, the intention uh, sort of adapts and shifts and changes perspective a, li- a little bit. Does that make mm. sense? Well, it does, because I guess, you know, you, you talked about those earlier times, and it seems that, you know, you, that point of your life, you didn't have a very high level of kind of conscious of self-awareness. And I, I guess, as you know, I certainly see it, and as, as I work with people and I look back at my life, as my conscious awareness increased and I, I became more aware of my, my surroundings and what was actually possible in life, it, it ratchets up, doesn't it? What the yeah. realization of what you can do and and the impact that you can have. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that, and that keeps shifting and that, and it keeps keeps changing and and you know coming into focus. It's almost like there's a gradual time of it coming into focus and getting really clear the intention and then you know and then heading for that and, and achieving achieving it. I mean, I, I need to talk about the title of the book, really. I mean, the idea is that. It, the metaphor stepping stones in the mist is is the metaphor for my life's journey in that you know when the time is right the mist clears and the next stepping stone presents itself and i don't need to know clearly where the end destination is all i need to do is focus on what i need to learn from the stepping stone that i'm on and that when the time is right when i've learned all the lessons that i need to from there then the mist starts clearing and, I, and the next intention, the next, um, you know, goal, vision starts coming into focus and then I'm ready to move into that stepping stone. Mm. One of the things I picked up from your book is you say that life's a learning journey and be the best student that you can be. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, so I, I think that kind of mirrors nicely that concept, really, doesn't it? Learn, 
what you can at each of those uh, those stepping stones. Then when you've learned enough, you're ready to move to the next one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my intention is uh, one clear intention that I have is uh, you know that I shall keep learning till I breathe my last breath. Um, you know, it's interesting that the, the more we know, the more we realise how little we know, and and so it just gets more exciting and more more interesting, really. And, and how do you, you know, how do you think your story? And we'll come back to some other points in a moment. How do you think that can really help people who've maybe not experienced the hardships that you've experienced in your life? Yeah, um, I think I think one of the things that, that, that's important is for for people to be grateful to to remember what you do have. Um, I mean, that's one of the gifts in adversity for me is that you know when times are difficult. Um, and, and then we come through those times. We 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 can be really grateful, you know, for, and realise what we do have and how, and how good life is and how blessed we are. And sometimes, sometimes we can just, you know, we can get sort of stuck in a bit of a groove of and taking everything for granted. Really, um, you know, I mean, my situation. It, it could it, it could happen to anybody, really. You know, and I mean, there's lots of different reasons why people end up homeless or, you know, end, end up going downhill. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that, that anybody could experience. So I guess it, to be compassionate for those that aren't quite as fortunate or, or you know, who aren't having a good time is, is something that's quite important for me. And I think, um, I, I think compassion is something that's uh, a little bit in short supply these days in society. So the more compassion and more gratitude... Is certainly something that I would say would, uh, you know, that I would advise. Yeah, I, think I completely, completely agree. And I think it is only when you you start adopting that that gratitude for what you have, and you start to appreciate everything in your life that's around you, that somehow you feel more more connected. I, I kind of kind of feel and yeah. Um, and, and you know, and, and maybe um, you know, and actually, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later about how we should treat. Uh, and behave around homeless people because uh, um, you know sometimes we don't people don't treat homeless people that well. Um, I mean, are, are homeless people? Do you think are they never having been one? I mean, are some homeless people keen to learn, or are they just resigned because they're, and they're so sort of dwelling in their problems? Have they given up? I think you know. I think there's a really broad spectrum of you know of homeless people. I'm, I'm aware. I think. You know, I'm aware of a few people that I've met that have kind of made a conscious choice to be homeless. Uh, yes. I think my choice was 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 more unconscious, um, but it, it was about there was something about not having any responsibility that was attractive to me. I think because I so strongly felt from what happened as a child that I wasn't going to be able to achieve anything and I wasn't worthy of a great deal and so on. That you know, to have no responsibility, that there is some sort of freedom in that. Um, but I think I, th I think most I think most homeless people just you know it just fall down sort of one step at a time. It's not something that necessarily happens all in all in one leap. It's a, you know a sequence of events that that, that leads to it. Um, and one, once you get down to a certain point, it, 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 you know once you've dug yourself a big hole, it becomes well. I don't quite know how to get out of this. 
Um, so I think quite often that there isn't very much. I think there's a the way that you live mirrors the way that you feel about yourself. So if you don't, you know, if you feel that you're not worth it, worth having a warm, safe home, then you know you will create the conditions that that will be in alignment with those um, self-limiting beliefs that you have. So we know, when I'm working with homeless people, one of the key things that's always important to me is believing in them, is be- believing in them and beginning, so that even if they don't believe in themselves, when somebody that they develop a relationship with or, or begin to have some trust with continues to believe in them, then they have, there has to reach a point where they start questioning and, and, and thinking, well, perhaps I could start believing in myself. You know, it's just yes. kind of like drip, drip, drip of... Uh, of, of belief and, and, and understanding why they are where they are. I think if you try and change people and force them to change their circumstances before their, their, their internal landscape has changed, then they just kind of like a piece of elastic, just go back to that, um, you know, that situation that, that, that validates their lack of self-worth. Yeah. And we've, got, we've got about sort of four minutes till we go, three, four minutes till we go to commercial break again, uh, Miguel. Okay. And I wonder... You know, what are your tips on on uh, an area that you you discuss, which is about becoming the best version of yourself that you can be? Um, and you know, how how do you maybe utilise this when you're working with somebody who's uh, who's maybe you know rather down on the look? Yeah, um, becoming the best version of yourself. You know, I think I think one of the keys things to becoming the best version of yourself is, is not believing everything that your mind tells you i mean through meditation and mindfulness practices and so on i've come to, to to the awareness that i am not my thoughts and i think so often we just assume we just think that we are our thoughts and that if a thought comes up then it's then it's it's the gospel truth what i've learned to do is is kind of question my thoughts and get curious about them and and, and you know, and and um, investigate them if you like, and and that way we begin to see things a, a little bit more clearly. It's it's a bit like turning the light on, and instead of just being dictated and being led through the through the dark with with our thoughts, and uh, because remembering remembering that our, you know our thoughts and our beliefs and our actions are all totally interconnected. So if we can get in, the more aware we become of our thoughts, and we more aware we become of what's um, the sort of you know, repetitive thoughts that are running around like a like a record that we that we can we can stop them and, and change the record, and then that affects our beliefs eventually, and that affects our actions, and so you know the reality that we're experiencing changes as well. Yeah, is that the kind of thing that you were? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, I think what you're saying is is you know when we have those thoughts, there those those thoughts are likely to be related to our current programming and the, and the programming that we've had from all those years that we've that we've lived and yeah, you know, yeah. so, and, so and I think uh, you know another key word for me in becoming the best version of us of ourselves is unlearning I think there's, there, there's such a you know there's such a drive for us to learn and, and devour knowledge and information a big part of my journey has been unlearning those beliefs you know that, that, that I unconsciously adopted that I'm, you know, that I'm not um, what my what the surrounding environment led me to believe that I was. So you know, I'm having to unlearn a lot of those self self limiting beliefs, and you know, and they they still pop up. It's a 
it's a work in progress, uh, um, I, I would say, from my experience. But you just become a bit more adept at spotting sort of lies, I guess, you know, things that, that, that aren't true anymore, you know, that perhaps served me in the past and, and helped me. Because the ego always likes, you know, always likes the familiar, doesn't it? And it's that thing of it's better to be in a familiar place, a known place, you know, even if it's uncomfortable, than it is to, to, to venture out into new territory where, you, where, you, where there, there isn't anything familiar to grab hold of. I think that sometimes just keeps us in the same place. That lack of courage to to let go of the shore and and uh, you know head for some place new. Yeah, it it sounds very much worth going to commercial break again now. But it sounds very much like you know that you know taking that counselling and that opportunity to have somebody there to to help you see the bigger the bigger picture. You know, was the ca- a catalyst along with your son to to take interest in this area yourself and then then also work on yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that counsellor, what he really did was just embodied love, the, lo- the love that, 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 that was missing. And, uh, you know, and that just kind of like ignited a little spark, a little fire inside me, really. That's kind of how, how it felt. Wonderful. We're going we're gonna to go to commercial break again. We should be back with you in a couple of minutes. And we've got uh, lots more uh, thoughts and uh, ideas um, from Miguel that are going to come up in the last section. So do stay on the line and we shall speak to you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. 
That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Miguel Dean. We're talking about dealing with adversity and uh, stepping stones in the mist. And Miguel, you know, going back to that point a little earlier about you know about your body and your health, and you know, you say that you should honour your body, which I completely agree. But I wonder what are your thoughts on this in a, a society where people often don't? Yeah. Um, the word that comes up for me is interconnected. Um, you know, I think if we don't feel, if essentially if we don't feel good about ourselves, then we don't treat ourselves well. And, you know, we're living in, a, in strange times at the moment. I, I find society a really sort of strange construct. And, that, you know, there's so much pressure and there's so much, um, so much of a sort of a push to, to not honour our bodies in a way. Um, you know, working too hard and busy, busy and, you know, the, this food is delicious and, you know, eat more of this and lots of things that aren't actually good for us. And, and, and I guess the word that I started there with interconnected is because, you know, if we don't, if our thoughts aren't helpful thoughts, aren't healthy thoughts, uh, you know, and they're not generating healthy emotions and our beliefs and our programming isn't terribly healthy, then it makes sense that, you know, that we're just going to, um, that that's going to be mirrored uh, and continued in, in, in the diet that we have or the way that we look after our bodies. So it's, I, I don't think it matters too much where you start, you know. I mean, I think you could start being healthier, eating healthier and looking after your body more and that would, that would have more uh, positive impact on your emotions and your thoughts and, you know, and that will begin to change it. But I think you have to address all of them together to some extent and see that, you know, they're, they're all different parts of the whole that makes up what a human being is, really. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think it's just going back to, you know, to have a healthier body and a healthier lifestyle. It's, uh, some of the key things for me are just about simplifying, slowing down, uh, and relaxing. You know, I think some of the best foods and some of the best ways of life are, are very simple uh, you know, perhaps simple lives, uh, as like maybe some of the indigenous people, uh, you know, uh, are still living. But that seems to be so far removed from what we call civilized society and success and and growth um, that, that you know it's almost like the the the, the baby got thrown out with the bathwater. I think we can lead a 21st century life, but I think we should uh, take a little bit more notice of just eating naturally and eating simple stuff and, and just looking at what we're actually putting into our bodies. Yes, yeah, really, really good point. And it's, uh, it's been something I've mentioned a number of times on the show. It, that's been very much in my, my thoughts over the last few months where I've been eating more healthy and exercising more. And what, what I do find is when you're eating really nice, fresh food, it's actually, you, know, you can almost forget actually how, how good it does taste. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and it's a bit of an acquired taste, I think, as well. I remember when I started eating better, salads and things like that, they tasted, they didn't taste very nice at first. I think, you know, our taste buds get addicted to all the monosodium glutamate and all the different strange things, that, that chemicals that get put in food. And it can take a little while. It's almost like a, an addiction, really, isn't it? And, yes. but, but now, you know, when I eat healthy food, it, my body kind of like zings 
and, and I do eat unhealthy stuff some, sometimes. You know, I'm no, I'm certainly no saint. But although something tastes really nice, it can be unhealthy and taste really nice. So it's almost like as soon as it hits my stomach, <laughs> it's like oh no, and, and you yeah. kind of like feel a bit dead and a bit flat and less yeah. energy. You know, I think a lot of it's about tuning into our bodies. Really, I think we have a, a huge body intelligence that gets that gets forgotten about and, and we, we, we you know we put the mind and the brain and logic on a great big pedestal and we forget that our bodies has, have their own intelligence really mm. Mm. In, in our preparation I remember you, you said to me you should take action and, and leave the room for the magic to arrive what do you mean by that? <laughs> okay what I mean by that is um, my entwined in my self-belief was this idea that I could only be successful and I could only achieve if I worked really hard. It's almost like, you know, the sort of Victorian work ethic that I would have to really graft and sweat and be exhausted and really put loads of hours in. But I've started, and this is quite a recent thing really, to, to uh, yeah, just to allow room for the magic. And what I'm talking about with magic, how I define magic, is, is what's beyond the limitations of our senses, because it seems to me pretty crazy to um, to assume <clears throat> that, that the only thing that, that is actually going on in the universe is what we can perceive with our senses. Now, we know that they're limited, and we know that dogs can smell things that we can't smell, and that, we, you know, that birds can hear things that we can't, and they can follow you know, um, sort of magnetic pathways when they're migrating. So we know that there is loads more going on than our senses, but... I think we forget that. We forget that sometimes. And I mean, I've had a little... If I tell you a short story, just to illustrate what I'm talking about, is that okay? Mm. Uh, I was speaking to my, my mentor at the time about, you know, getting a bit of a high... raising my profile. And he said, well, you need to get some articles published. And I said, well, you know what, in the local paper and, and things like that. And, and he said, no, in national papers, you know, you're, you're working... Um, you're working with young people, you should be getting some stuff in the Times Educational Supplement, uh, you know, which is obviously a, quite a prestigious paper. And my initial thought was, oh, little old me can't do that, you know, I can't do that. And anyway, I, I finished this meeting with my mentor and I began to sort of question myself and say, well, yeah, maybe, maybe you can, you know, maybe you can, why can't you, you know, g give it a go. And this kind of intention and this clarity just began to gather inside me and I just set, you know, set my intention on, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to write an article and get it published in the Times Educational Supplement. So then a few days later, I was down in London and I was delivering some training and uh, I was at Paddington Station getting the train back and a lady came and sat next to me uh, just before the train pulled away. And we exchanged pleasantries, and after a little while, she um, pulled out a magazine from her bag. And I couldn't um, help, help, you know, it caught my attention. I think it was just the colours. It was quite a striking sort of black and yellow. And I, and I said to her, I said, oh, that's an, it looks like an interesting magazine. What is it? And she said, oh, it's the Times Educational Supplement. <laughs> now, I'd, I'd, I'd not actually heard about the Times Educational Supplement until I'd spoken to my mentor, you know, a couple of weeks before. So that was a little bit of a coincidence and possibly a little bit of magic in there. But then what happened next was that um, the, the train came to, a, came to a halt. Uh, the lady next to me got up to leave and she pulled the magazine out of her bag and said, you can have this copy if you like. She said, it's a really good publication. I should know. I'm the editor. 
<laughs> now, you know, you could, for me, that's a little bit of magic. You know, what, what was the chances, you know, of me being on that train on that, at that time, in that carriage, you know, on that seat, or even speaking to the lady? It could have all happened without me even knowing I was sat next to her. So, of course, you know, when I got home, I, I, I Googled her, and, and uh, sure enough, she was the, the editor of the Times Educational Supplement, and I briefly explained my story, and she gave me the email address of the person that I needed to contact. And, you know, to cut a long story short, a few months later, there was my article published in the Times Educational Supplement. Oh, fantastic. Now, you know, that's just a little example of the magic, you know, sort of synchronicity, just being in the right place at the right time, bumping into people... You know, that, that is little things that happen that, that our rational minds can't really explain. That's what I mean by the magic. Well, we've, got, we've only got um, three or four minutes left until I need to summarise now. So uh, a couple of questions that I need to get in before we, we leave. And the first one is, um, I know for you, you say that people should really keep their attention on love and kindness. And I think it's, yeah. that's a really, really important concept. And... Uh, I just want to ask you, you know, your, quickly your thoughts on that, but also in what circumstances? Well, uh, I think love and kindness, uh, again, uh, you know, I think everything's always an inside job. You need to, there needs to be a degree of love and kindness for yourself. I think that comes first. It's kind of like, you know, put your oxygen mask on first if the plane's going down before you try putting the mask on your children. So it's, so it's be kind and, and, and loving to yourself. And then you, you'll feel that it's kind of like overflowing and you have more to give to other people. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that's quite, that, that's, that that's quite key. Um, I, my, my feeling is, yeah, that love and kindness is something that's, that's a bit missing in the world, really. That there's a lack of it. And I really like Mother Teresa's quote when she said that the problem with the world is that we draw the circle of the family too small. I think, you know, what if we treated everybody as if they were our nearest and dearest and, and we were kind and compassionate to, to everybody, you know? Because my, my understanding is that strangers, there, there's no real such thing as strangers. There's just people whose stories we haven't heard yet. So, you know, if we think of everybody as, a, as our family and just a, you know, a, a lovely person that we haven't quite met yet, then I, th I think we can just naturally just become a bit kinder and, and, and more loving and, and, and when we, once we get into it it becomes a bit almost addictive because I get such a buzz out of helping other people and empowering other people and being kind to strangers so it's I sometimes call myself a selfish altruist you know because I, it just serves me so much by, by helping and being kind to others you get more back don't, more back, don't you from people when yeah, you uh, yeah, behave yeah. like that and I just want to that, that leads in really nicely to, I think to my next question I think you may partly have given me the answer there but I, I think people who uh, you know, come into homeless people on the streets and we often do wonder how, how best to treat them you know, should we give them money should we give them our time uh, you know, what help do they need from us well, yeah, I think one of the first things to, to be aware of is that I, I think that we're all responsible for the homeless people. We're, I think we're all responsible because in a society where some have way too much and, and have loads, then it, it has to balance out by, by others not having enough. So, you know, coming from that pers perspective, we're responsible to a, to a certain degree. And, and what to give a homeless person... 
I don't think it matters too much what you give them as long as you give it with love. You know, not from a sort of pitying place, but from a compassionate, um, loving space, whether you give them a little bit of money or whether you buy them a coffee or whether you give them some of your time and, and say, you know, shuffle up, mate. You know, let's, can I have a sit down with you and just, you know, and just that's occasionally what I do. And, and um, you know, I just say, you know, how did you, you know, tell me your story. How, how did you get here? And as soon as we hear somebody's story, our hearts, you can't help but your heart just open a little bit. Mm. So, yeah, you know, do, do whatever, whatever feels right in the moment, but, but do it from a place of love because, you know, I think it's better to do one little thing from a, a loving place than to do loads of things out of obligation or, or, or guilt or, or duty, really. Do it because you want to do it. I think that's one of the most amazing things I did. I was inspired by somebody speaking once, and I went and sat down with a homeless person and had a chat. And um, it certainly it uh, it was uh, incredible the, the reaction that I got from from doing it, but how it actually made me feel. Um, yeah. So we've got uh, just a, a minute left, really. Do you, do you want to just share with us your final thoughts? Final thoughts, Chris. Yeah. Um... I guess it goes a bit, a little bit, a little bit back to to the introduction. My understanding is that business as usual is no longer an option. I think we're living in, you know, really interesting times. I think we're at a quite a pivotal point in, you know, where where humanity, you know, humanity's next next part of the adventure goes really. And when I'm speaking and when I'm talking to people about this sort of stuff, I often get a, the feedback is that people feel hopeless or they feel um, disempowered they feel as if it's there are too many big problems in the world and so you know they just kind of like fall back to sleep and just carry on running around on their own little hamster wheel yeah. what i would say is don't feel disempowered don't feel hopeless just every little small act of kindness uh, you know makes a difference it, 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 it all adds up it all adds up because and it, and it connects people and i think connection and relationship and love is what life is actually all about and i'm not quite sure how it's happened but we've 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 lost track uh you know in our current society that those are actually the most important things so thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and i think uh, you know you made some tremendous points and i hope you'll have people kind of reflecting and, and connecting with you as well. If you want to find out more about Miguel Dean, you, uh, Miguel has put a, a short video together which you can you know, see what Miguel looks like, look him in the whites of his eyes and, uh, and hear a little bit more. If you go to www.miguel, that's M-I-G-U-E-L, Dean, D-E-A-N, dot net, slash Chris Cooper, slash. So that's uh, www.migueldean.net, slash Chris Cooper, forward slash. And uh, you'll... Uh, be able to find out a bit more about Miguel and where to get a hold of his book and that sort of thing. On next week's show, we have a world champion, former world champion speaker, Darren Lacroix, who's going to uh, tell us all sorts of great tips and ideas on how to be, uh, you know, really improve uh, the way that we speak and communicate. But once again, Miguel, been tremendous talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. I've enjoyed it very much, Chris. Thank you ever so much, and thank you to all the listeners. It's been it's been a great it's been a great uh, forty five minutes. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, thank you very much to everybody else who's listened. And I shall look forward to speaking to you again with Darren LaCroix next week. So have a great week. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. 
Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.